Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of our Vetsplanation Staff Edition. So today we're going to be talking about food allergies. So food allergies are really interesting because they can show up as so many different things. It's not just things that we think about as far as like itchiness, things like that. It can also happen to dogs or cats. So it doesn't matter which one. Again, this is always a thing that we think about with our dogs, but not so much with our cats. But either one can get food allergies. So we're going to talk about, first of all, what is a food allergy like? How does it occur? So when we think about something that the immune system does in general, so it's just that our immune system has overreacted to something. Typically, what the body's supposed to do is it's supposed to recognize some foreign invader and then fight it off and also bring a piece of it back to say like, hey, this is something bad. We don't want it here. We need to like make sure we're prepared for the next time it comes. But with food allergies, it's a little bit different. So when we think about just our regular allergies, it's like an army. Like they go out, they find the invader. Like I said, they kill it, bring a piece back and say, okay, like this is what we need to look for for the next time this comes so we can make sure that we can fight it off better next time. So in a food allergy, let's say your pet eats a food, your dog eats chicken, and suddenly your dog's immune system thinks that chicken is a invader. It says, we don't want this chicken around. It's bad for us. We're going to kill it and we're going to bring a piece of that chicken back so we can show everybody, all the other army, the rest of the army, to say, hey, anytime you see this here, make sure that you attack it because this is a foreign invader. Even though it's just chicken. Chicken's not going to try to kill your cells, right? But your immune system doesn't know that. It's smart and it's also not so smart at the same time. So, like I said, the immune system sees this protein, whatever it is, whatever thing that your pet's allergic to or whatever a patient's pet is allergic to as a problem. And it starts overreacting to it. So it's just an overreaction to a problem. It's like a drama queen for your body. The most common places that you're going to see this reaction show up is going to be places like the skin, the intestines, the eyes, and the respiratory system. Each pet is a little bit different though, so they all manifest this in different ways. Just to give you an example, like my son, he has a pistachio allergy, which is super random, but he gets swelling of the lips versus me. I essentially have an allergy to duck eggs, again, really random, but it gives me severe migraines. Two different ways that these things have shown up, even though we are related, right? Same thing with dogs and cats. So you can have one dog that has maybe skin problems when they eat chicken, and you have another dog in the same exact family, in the same litter, that has maybe intestinal problems. They start having diarrhea every time they get chicken. So they can show up as different ways. Or you can have it to where those two dogs have an allergy to it, and the third dog doesn't have an allergy. So let's talk about the most common signs of food allergies. So typically it's itchiness, like that's our number one usually. And this is like licking their paws or their limbs. It can be biting somewhere on their body or like scratching at their face or their ears, shaking their head, things like that. Repeated ear infections is another big one. Like typically when I get a dog or a cat that has one an ear infection, I'm like, hey, I'm talking about like, maybe you might want to start thinking this could be a food allergy. Just keep it on your radar. Because if you have another ear infection, then I start worrying about it being a food allergy. Now, when they have a repeated ear infection, I'm like, hey, your dog probably has a food allergy, or at least we need to rule that out. Let's start trying to figure this out. Redness and dander and oiliness of the skin and fur, those can be a sign as well. Hot spots, that's another big one. Typically, we have some sort of allergy 
because of when they get hot spots. And so this is basically where like the pet chews or scratches at a repeated spot uh, over and over, creating this moisture that creates an infection. That's what a hot spot is. With the intestines, it could be just like soft stools or diarrhea or excessive gas uh, or even vomiting. It can be as simple too as like just the frequency of their stools. Are they having too much stools, like going too many times a day or too little stools, like they're not going very often during the day? Either one of those could be a possibility for a food allergy. With the eyes, it could be like excessive tearing, watery eyes, yellow discharge from the eyes, or redness of the eyes. You could also sometimes see like reverse sneezing, regular sneezing, or even swelling of the face. That is not as common of one, but it is still a possibility. Now, of all of those signs, I have so many differentials for that, right? I talked about biting at the body. Flea should also be another big one that just pops into your mind when you're thinking of them biting at their body. Listen to Dr. Z's podcast on the flea stuff. She did a really great one on just flea stuff in general, which I think is fantastic. An ear infection. An ear infection could just simply be an ear infection, right? We just don't know. Vomiting and diarrhea, that could be so many things, like thousands of things. It could be that they have pancreatitis or gastrointestinal foreign body or gastroenteritis or Addison's disease or Cushing's disease or thyroid problem or it, there's like just so many different things that this could potentially be. Vomiting and diarrhea is really hard because it could be anything. It could be IBD, like just so many things. Facial swelling, that could be just a, an allergic reaction. Excessive tearing, that could be because they potentially have an ulcer on the eye. And all of these things too can also be an environmental allergy, which we'll cover at a different time, but that's also a possibility as well. You know, there's so many things that we have to think about as vets and vet techs and just trying to think about what are the differentials that this could be. If you have an itchy dog, maybe running a flea comb through it to see if there is actually fleas that are there. If you have a dog that has an ear infection, doing all the swabs, we would call cytology. We swab the ears stain it and then look at it under the microscope to look for bacteria and or yeast. And that's going to tell us how to treat the ear infection. But it also tells us a little bit more if it's just yeast, then it's even more to me that it's probably going to be a food allergy. This could be that if we're talking about vomiting and diarrhea, that maybe we need to get x-rays on the dog so we can try to rule out, does this dog potentially have a foreign body? So many different things, right? We have to think about so many different things in order to weed through to get to this potentially being a food allergy. So if there's so many different food allergies, what can we do to diagnose it? Food allergies with anything, people always want a simple answer, right? They're like, give me the pill that's just going to fix it. One pill, one time, fix it. Or a shot that's going to fix it so I don't have to deal with this anymore. That's not really the way this works, unfortunately. There is a food allergy test, but it is not very reliable. When we talk about food allergy testing, we have to talk about why is this blood test not reliable? There's also a saliva test, which is even more unreliable. But for the blood test, that comes down to that there's a lot of false positives. So a false positive means that a protein, let's say chicken, shows up positive, even though they're not actually allergic to the chicken. So it's a false positive. Why is that? So one of the reasons is because of that food that they had eaten not really being fully digested. So let's say that your dog had eaten chicken that morning, and then we take blood tests at 6 p.m. At the 6 p.m. appointment, everybody loves those, right? But they take a blood test at 6 p.m., and that dog hadn't fully digested that chicken yet. 
it may show that it is positive on that test just because it had not been completely broken down yet because the body is still analyzing it to try to figure out if it is a problem or not. It'll show that there's a chicken allergy when maybe there isn't really a chicken allergy. The other reason for false positives is that the protein of one food may be too similar to the protein of another food. Here's an example. Let's say that the dog has a peanut allergy. Shows that we are allergic to peanut butter, but that may be that it also shows that they are allergic to green beans. How are green beans and peanut butter related, right? They're both part of the legume family, and so it might show that they have a green bean allergy when they really don't. They just have a peanut butter allergy. So it's really difficult to try to figure out what they're allergic to, right? And you might think that this is just a really small amount of dogs that have these false positives or a really small amount of false positives that occur. But they did a study in people that showed actually about 50 to 60% of all allergy blood tests showed a false positive. That's a really high number. So how can we say that this is accurate? If it's negative, then it's most likely negative. If it says that they don't have a beef allergy, then they likely don't have a beef allergy. But if it's positive, we don't know if it's really positive or not. So now, if you feel like this is really only on the human side, let's talk about the animal side. So they have not been able to prove that a positive test has actually corresponded to an actual clinical change in the pet. What do I mean by that? So a study was done showing that they did blood tests on these dogs for a food allergy. They found that whatever they said that they were highly allergic to, and then they created a dog food that had those proteins in it for half of the patients in that test. Those pet parents came back and said that their dogs were doing great on that diet. They were doing so fantastic. They were so happy about this diet. But it had things that they were supposedly allergic to. So that wasn't very accurate, right? They should be worse. They should be having worsening skin problems and worsening vomiting and diarrhea or whatever it was that they manifested before. It should be worse, not better. That tells us that, unfortunately, these tests aren't always correct. So what do we do then? We don't have this blood test. We don't have the magic pill, no magic injection that's going to fix everything. So I'm going to talk really quickly about our Apoquil and our Cytopoint. Those are great for helping with allergies, but they do not fix an allergy. It's not that we're giving them something to fix their chicken protein allergy. It's just making it so that their body is less likely to respond to that protein as a problem. And it still does. They'll still go through. And if they just keep feeding this chicken over and over again that they're allergic to, then it's going to cause a problem for them. So it does help their symptoms, but does not fix the problem. Right. So how do we figure out what our pets are actually allergic to? We have to do something that's called a diet trial or basically like trying to say what they're allergic to. But that means that we have to put them on a very, very strict diet first for a couple of months. We need everything out of their system. We need their immune response to stop before we can try other foods to see if they're allergic to it. So we have to start out with something like a hydrolyzed protein diet. So what is a hydrolyzed protein? So it's a protein that's been broken up into tiny, tiny little molecules so that the body does not recognize it as the protein that it doesn't like. So let's say like chicken. You, typically, the hydrolyzed protein is a chicken diet. And most dogs are allergic to, pro- to chicken. We'll get into that in a minute. But in order to like make it to where the body doesn't recognize it, they essentially make it into these teeny, teeny, tiny pieces so that the body is like, I don't think that this is a chicken. I think it's okay. We'll just let it pass for now, right? And that's how we like make this work is it's essentially like a Trojan horse. We're trying to get into the body and make it so the body doesn't recognize it. We're tricking the body. 
So they can use hydrolyzed proteins, but there are a couple other alternatives as well. They can give like a novel protein diet, meaning like a protein that the pet has never been exposed to before. So something like rabbit or venison or kangaroo, things like that. But the bigger problem is trying to find a diet that does not have any um, contaminants in it. So most places, they also make diets that have like chicken and beef and all these other things in them. So you can't really say that that chicken isn't going to contaminate that food. It's really difficult to be able to clean all of those things in order to make sure that they are not contaminating other foods. So that is one thing. It can be really difficult to find. And even if they do find something, it may not be a high enough quality standard to be able to be a good diet for that. The other thing that they can do is they can actually make their own diet. So there's a website called balanceit.com and they can put in the ingredients that they want to use. So let's say they choose venison. They can put in venison and sweet potatoes or whatever, and then they'll tell them how to balance it to make sure that it has the right amount of nutrients and vitamins in it. So that, that way we're giving them a fully balanced diet. You'll hear a lot of people, and you can tell everybody this when they come in and they're like, I only feed chicken and rice. That's not a balanced diet. They're not getting the vitamins and nutrients and everything else that they need. So they need to have a more balanced diet than that. So I tell people to go to that balanceit.com. And they are going to sell vitamins and stuff like they got to make money too. But that's the best way to be able to make it so that they get all of the minerals and vitamins that they need. But they can make this diet as well. So they can put in some protein that they've never been exposed to and then see if they can do that for that two to three months as well. But no matter which way they, they go, again, for two to three months, that dog or cat has to be on that diet and that diet only. This includes like no treats, no chewable medications. So like Remedil that has a flavoring to it or flea prevention that has a flavoring to it, like Brevecto, they can't have those. It can have the topical ones. That's fine. Or they can also have, they can have it like right before you start the diet trial. That's okay as well. But once they're on that diet, like it is a strict diet. We have to see if everything starts to clear up. And then as soon as that immune system settles down, now we can start doing the actual trial. We want to see what they're actually allergic to. So that means giving them pieces of things at a time, trying to see what they're potentially allergic to. So let's say we think that chicken is the problem. We're going to give chicken for about seven days if it's a cat and 14 days if it's a dog. We're going to give chicken for that one to two weeks and see if any of the symptoms occur. If they do, if they start itching or having diarrhea or eye infections or ear infections, then we know that this is an allergen. So we take the chicken away, give them their food again for another one or two weeks to let the body calm down. And now we add in something else. Now we're going to add in beef. We'll do beef for one to two weeks, again, depending on if it's dog or cat. And we repeat this process over and over and over again with all the different types of allergens until we've compiled a list of things that that pet is probably allergic to. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So really, it's got to be like a really dedicated owner. Just talking about the importance of why, why this is important. We need to know what it is that they're allergic to rather than just trying to treat their allergies constantly. Those allergies are going to get worse. They're going to get worse and worse. And they're just going to get to the point where they're so uncomfortable. That's just not fair for them. So we want to get this under control before it gets too bad. Now, you might also be wondering what the most common things that pets are allergic to. So the most common allergens for dogs are going to be chicken, which includes the eggs, because you got to remember that chickens come from eggs, right? Beef, dairy, lamb, pork, wheat, 
rice, and soy. For cats, the most common ones are going to be fish, chicken, again with the egg, beef, dairy, lamb, and wheat. Now, if you go to the local pet store or Costco or wherever people usually get their pet food, if you pick up pretty much any random bag off of the shelf, you're going to find at least one of those ingredients in there. Most of the time, this is what pets are exposed to. That's why they are the most common things that they're allergic to. It's not because chicken is just always going to be bad. It's just that it's the most likely thing that they're going to be exposed to. And that's why it's created an allergy to chicken. And try to find a diet that doesn't have those things is really difficult. It can be very difficult. Things like that hydrolyzed protein can help with that. So people have asked me before, can I just feed a diet that a pet has never had before that has none of those ingredients that are common things that they're going to be allergic to? I start out right off the gate. I like get them as a puppy and I'm like, I'm switching you to this very special diet and for all these proteins you've never been exposed to and then they shouldn't get an allergy, right? That's not how this works. So the way that this is, is that your body just responds in a way it's not supposed to. And it could be to any protein. It could be to, if, let's say, they decide that they're going to start eating rabbit right off the, the bat. It could be that they ex get exposed to that rabbit and now they suddenly have a rabbit allergy. And it's just because, again, that, that's the way that the body responds to. We, we can't tell when the body's going to respond to these things. It's just going to happen. And if it does happen, then it doesn't matter what the protein was, whether it's chicken or rabbit it's going to have an allergic reaction to that protein. And if people want to do that, fine, they can try to do that. But it also means that they got to be like, they're never going to be able to give them treats. And if they have kids, like the kids throw everything on the ground or they accidentally feed it to the dog. So it's really difficult to be able to do that. Another common question I get is, can I just give like a variety of proteins so that the dogs just get used to that? And again, that's not a great answer. So I do know that some of our technicians do that, and that's fine, but you don't know when your dog is going to develop an allergy to that particular type of protein. Maybe they do just fine on chicken and beef and fish and whatever, but then maybe you then bring in venison and suddenly they have a reaction to venison. But now the problem is you fed all these different proteins and we have to find a novel protein that they've never been exposed to before. At that point, what do you use? We're stuck with things like kangaroo because that's probably not something that you've used before. So that can be like one of the, the problems of that, one of the complications of that. Another thing that I usually will get asked by people is what about grain-free diets? Grain-free diets, I, I don't know if you noticed on that list of things that I mentioned, the majority of them were proteins, not grains. So typically dogs usually do not have a grain allergy. They can have a very specific allergy to a very specific grain, but it's usually not like an all grain thing. So yeah, could they have a grain allergy? Yes. Is it common? No. So typically feeding a grain-free diet is not going to help them. It could actually be more detrimental, especially if it's a large breed dog. I'll talk about that on another podcast. I'm just like waiting for the rest of that research to come out to talk about that because at this point we think that grain-free diets have actually been the cause of all these dogs having heart problems. They get something called DCM, which you can listen to on the cardiac or the heart episode that I did way, way long ago. But grain-free diets do not help a food allergy unless that dog is very specifically allergic to one of the grains. And even then you can just feed one that doesn't have that particular grain in it, right? So grain-free diets are not gonna be our solution. So as you can tell, this is going to take a lot of time. They have a lot of time that they have to spend trying to figure out 
which type of protein that they're allergic to or which type of grain that they're allergic to or whatever it is. So it can be a really long time before they like really have this figured out. But after that, then they'll start to know what they need to avoid and whether they should not have people give their dogs treats when they're going through the Starbucks window or whatever, or what treats they can have. So that you can just make them a lot more comfortable. That's our goal, right? Like we want to make them as comfortable as possible. If anybody else has an allergy, like my allergy with my migraines, I have to be like really strict on certain things like duck eggs and sugar. Like sugar sucks. Like every time I have sugar, I have a really bad reaction to it. It probably started because of the duck eggs and having a reaction to the duck eggs. But either way, you know, I'm so much more comfortable not eating duck eggs and not having lots of sugar. And so that's just something that I have to be aware of. I don't want migraines all the time. And I'm sure these dogs don't want ear infections all the time or to be itchy all the time. So really it's about trying to figure out what's the best thing for them. So just talking to people and just educating them about this, about food allergies and like why it's really important and why it's really important to do these things. I had seen a dog at 3 a.m. the other day. This is going to be my funny story. So I saw a dog at 3 a.m. the other day and people always are like, why would, who comes in at 3 a.m.? I have a lot of people that come in at 3 a.m., all right? But this dog came in at 3 a.m. who had a really bad ear infection. Again, why did he come at 3 a.m.? He couldn't sleep. So he brought the dog in. I did this whole talk on him about food allergies and why diet trials can be really important for him. So he's a Frenchie who are very prone to getting food allergies. And then as they were leaving, the technician said that he said, all right, Roberta, I know we're not supposed to give you things like chicken and beef, but we're going to stop by McDonald's on our way home because you deserved it. That was the whole point. They don't give him a beef because it could be a food allergy. So you know, like really drive it into them. They think that that's going to be great because it's a treat for them, but really it's harmful for them. It's essentially like giving them something that's just going to harm them. So why we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that these dogs and cats are going to be like as comfortable as possible. So it means giving traits that are going to be acceptable for them, not things that are going to harm them. All right, guys, I think that is it for our food allergies. Hopefully I did this justice. Food allergies is not my big forte, obviously, because it's not emergency medicine. But yet I have this talk with people at least six times a night. You think it's not my forte, but really I have this talk a lot. All right, guys, if you have any questions for me, as always, let me know. Email me, find me in the hallways. I'm doing my education days. Come ask me questions. I'm more than happy to explain things to you. If you have any particular podcasts that you want me to do, topics you want me to do, again, please don't feel bad reaching out to me. I like doing these things for you guys. All right, thanks guys.